I think community, like any relationships, comes from a sense of, and I truly, truly, truly believe very strongly that people mostly want belonging above most things they could have in life. And a lot of the things that people do is trying to feel some belonging. Welcome to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. Today, I have Rebecca Songer. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sven. Happy to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about your song, Swamp Thing, which is yet unreleased, but is also going to be part of an album coming out when? Well, I was hoping to already have it out, but I would say we're down to just finalizing artwork and a title for the album. So, it's mastered and ready to go. We just have to get it out there. So, hopefully by sometime January maybe. So without further ado, let's listen to the song. Sounds good.
Welcome back. So, Rebecca, my first and favorite question to always ask is what came first? Was it the music or was it the lyrics? That's usually a really hard question for me to answer or remember, but I believe that with this one, I do more clearly think I had a little bit of a... I think it usually for me happens, they're happening separately, and then I tend to marry pieces of music and words that I'm working on somehow, if they fit together. I think the music started out first, just kind of a general chord progression, and maybe then I was... Well, that might not be true. I When I was working uh, more of an office job, a lot of times ideas would happen in my head on the drive, and maybe I get a little melody, maybe I get a little feeling that I want it to have. I don't really have a specific process of songwriting, but I think with Swamp Thing, it's really the same chord progression pretty much through the whole thing except for that little bridge. It's a good question. I can't quite remember, but I do think I had kind of both going at the same time. The actual words certainly came afterwards, so I guess music mm. musically it was written first. You mentioned that you usually take two separate ideas that you're working on lyrically and musically, and then sometimes they just, you're like, oh, those line up, and yeah, that works. It, I might have an idea of something I'm just sort of working through in my mind and heart or something that's sparking my interest or, I don't know, angst that I'm working through, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm kind of a bit of a lazy songwriter as far as not being very disciplined to really regularly sit down so it just kind of happens when it happens and sometimes i feel like sitting with a guitar or sitting at a piano and sometimes i'm just singing random lines in the car that come to me melodically but every song i think that i've written has happened in a little bit of a different sequence and a little different way sometimes i'll just have pages and pages of stream of consciousness poetry or journaling or just phrases and i'll kind of go through and see if anything's fitting together when I'm sort of feeling like making something new. I don't know. And yeah. so sometimes there's an, more of a an idea up front and sometimes it just kind of comes together in pieces and then all of a sudden I'm like, I think I just wrote a song. I'm not sure. So <laughs> yeah, there are times when I work on something and it's like, I'll, I'll have written words and then I'm like, I want to make this into a song and then it just doesn't for some reason work out. And then later I'm playing something and I'm like, I wonder if those words would fit with it, you know? And so yeah. it's like years later, it comes together. There's something about songwriting that makes you feel at least a little bit more alive. We're all programmed in a certain way to be creators and that whether that's like having children or having creative works or building buildings mm -hmm. or something where there's this need to create something that can go beyond ourselves. So sure. I, I think that that's a really fascinating thing about our creative process is that there's that weird need to do that. But I wanted to jump into this song, um, Swamp Thing, because I was curious, when did you actually write this song? Swamp Thing, I wrote sometime after Trump took office. So it is a politically motivated song, politically reflective. It actually has a sister song that I contemplated sharing, but I thought I could at least just reference it. It's a very brief, people who've seen me live know that it, it sort of has like a sibling introductory solo song without the band called No True Scotsman. And so that song I had written like 
around somewhere after the 2016 election results, maybe wrote it like around Obama's last State of the Union address or something. And then somewhere in that wiggle room between the election and Trump's actual inauguration. And that one pairs in that the No True Scotsman fallacy inspired that song. That song came out of a conversation with a childhood friend of mine around the time of the election results. He was talking about the dangers of the Trump agenda and the dangers of Republicans sort of dismissing him and not taking him seriously and saying he's not really a Republican, and then dangers of that becoming then the process of him coming into power. And so then that dovetailing in with Swamp Thing, I had written more like after he was already in office for a while and a lot of his lack of environmental and immigration policies and border policies and things were coming into place. And so as it happens, like I sometimes write songs where it's sort of telling multiple stories in different layers. And so it can mean and it can mean whatever you want it to mean, really, I guess. But it might mean, you know, the face value meaning and sort of the if you just listen to it, it might be like, oh, it's an ode to the comics. And, you know, it's like a fantasy about, you know, she must be a big fan of the comics. And so there was a little bit of the, you know, the nod to the the swamp thing. But the opening line, when the red tide rises, fish, you better run, is inspired by something I was reading about a phenomenon on the Florida shorelines. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of a red tide where there's mm -hmm. like this really damaging population of algae. I had seen this thing in the news about these algae overpopulating the shoreline and then they release these neurotoxins and it's very poisonous to the wildlife in the sea. And it gives the shoreline an actual, it can make it turn like a crimson along there. It's ultimately very harmful to the fish and in rare cases can be harmful to humans who consume the fish. It's not usually deadly to humans, but if they do consume fish that were affected by this, it can be, you know, have that ripple effect. And anyway, it got me down this sort of red tide, red wave thinking about a little bit of a messiness of multiple thoughts happening at once there. And then I was just thinking about this sort of funny imagery of Trump constantly drain the swamp, drain the swamp. And that's sort of a phrase that's been used a lot throughout history, but the way he's using it, I just sort of had this vision of kind of the comic character, but it being like the human part of it is like some kind of like bureaucrat or career politician or something sort of like rising out of what he's calling drain the swamp. So there's a little bit of that layer um, to it which is, it's a little bit of a sillier song and that might, I mean, it has some serious content, but I also maybe was a safer song for me to choose to share today just because it's maybe the least personal. It's a little more user-friendly as far as not like delving into some of the harder topics of some of the other songs that are going to be on the album that'll be a little more personally challenging to discuss in this format. I'd like to maybe start out by talking about one that's maybe a little less about like my own personal traumas and a little more about our collective trauma that's maybe a little more relatable right. to people. And I wanted to also select a song that readily showcased everyone on the album getting like their strengths being kind of highlighted on there where you really get like a sample of every all, all the guys playing. And I appreciate what you said about, you know, our need to create because it is really, uh, while I'm not a super prolific songwriter and definitely do not have the, that whatever that is in people like, you're so good about being proactive about organizing things and putting yourself out there and using your skills to produce your own show and your own music and other people. And I don't know how to like, 
push myself to do that. It happens when it happens. And I go long stints of time where I don't, I might not write a song for three years or something. And then all of a sudden I write four songs. You were saying about our need to create. And I just appreciate that because I do think that, you know, I know for my partner, Brian Reedy, who's a very well-known local drummer and songwriter, and we both have chosen in our life paths not to have children. And it just, this is, these are our children, you know, it's like our legacy is not through parenting little ones, love them all, but that's just not our path. And this is definitely then a huge part of just the the legacy that's left behind is kind of like the mark that you make in your own creative avenues. Wow. A little bit I mean, of everything. I know. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's funny because I was totally, I, I was suspecting that this was a, a piece that would be around 2016 because mm-hmm. I, when I saw Swamp Thing, immediately I thought of, you know, Drain the Swamp. Yes. It, it felt like it was Trump and yeah, I, I wasn't sure exactly how to approach this, but you mentioned when the red tide rises, fish, you better run. There's this great line that you have poison flat, uh, I was Poison say, flesh line the beaches when it comes, when it k-k-k-k-k-k comes. Yeah, which is... I, I find it fascinating when hearing the vocals, you don't necessarily interpret it that way, but when you actually want to absorb a song and, and look at the lyrics that the KKK comes, just the way that that line goes, let's pick your brain, what were you thinking about when the uh, poison flesh line the beaches when it comes, when it k- k- comes? Well, that and that ties into the earlier reference to the red tide and the metaphor with that. And so that's what ends up happening with that is a beach lined with dead fish. It's a good question because it's been enough time that I definitely had specific imagery for myself of the of the metaphor there that I might not as eloquently be able to articulate now. But just thinking about because I was both marrying kind of the sort of disastrous, the sense of sort of doom of the dangers of this sort of mixing of environmental concerns and border concerns and xenophobic concerns and a lot of murderous fallout and deathly fallout from the racism and misogyny. I hate to talk vaguely in ideas, but those are the words coming to my mind as we're talking about it. But I guess just thinking about sort of the disastrous outcomes from it was looking very bleak and we all lived through that it has become quite bleak and it doesn't, it feels like we're living in sort of this different reality of what our fellow humans, what's expected of us as a civilization and feel things feel a little bit uncertain, but definitely dangerous. And like, there's just a fallout on that poisoning. I mean, I tend to go on a lot of different layers. So I mean, even just the thought of like consuming the metaphorical poison or whatever, having this unintended consequence of it really kind of resulting in the demise of unknowing, unwitting civilization, I guess, including politicians. Hmm. And that I take it then into the next sort of, I don't know, the structure of this song isn't really very the traditional structure in like a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's kind of a linear song. But then, of course, the concept of basically that just as like the cure for a cancer, get out alive if it doesn't kill you first. And that like the things that we might have to do to save ourselves Mm. the destruction that's happening in the process of trying to find sort of a salvation like save ourselves from this sort of mess that we're in i also had a thought of the the ramifications of the decisions that have been made or policies that have been put in place i wanted to say that like those two lines that you mentioned that part of what happened during the trump 
administration is that, well, at least for me, and, and maybe that's that's why I'm saying what I'm saying, is that I became very aware of my own privilege in the sense that mm-hmm. like coastal cities, coastal beaches, it is possible if I am living in the middle of the country that I would never see or witness those things because mm-hmm. of where I am. And just because I don't witness it, it doesn't mean that that's not happening, especially the whole being able to run before it kills you. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has that Mm -hmm. opportunity to run before it kills you. And I I think to me that represented a very like strong aspect for me in terms of, as I said, like my privilege, my ability to maybe dismiss it or Mm -hmm. not feel like well, it doesn't affect me, so why should I care kind of thing. And, and mm-hmm. I feel like those two lines just really hit me as a very potent in terms of what we went through. I appreciate you sharing that with me and definitely like love for people to take from it, you know, what they can. And it's really interesting how the listeners, we do that to all of our artists that we listen to, we sort of interpret the songs, how we're going to interpret them, and it may or may not be on the mark at all for what the person intended, but that's like the beauty of how songwriting comes to fruition and like how it affects the listener too is such a huge part of the song itself, you know, now its own kind of living, breathing entity that has its own identity outside of its creator. It's a really weird thing, you know? When you create a story, you create these different experiences and because they are through the filter of our own point of view, Mm -hmm. we then get our own expanded world. But the thing that's nice is when people can also hear the original intention. I'm just so interested in this idea of that they can coexist in your mind while you're listening to it. Like you can Mm -hmm. listen to your and, and interpret on your own and then still have this other thing that coexists with it maybe a weakness that I have is that maybe things get a little bit lost and garbled and trying to keep it straight. But that it's about too many things and there are mixed metaphors and things like that happening. But I would say maybe most of the songs I've written have some kind of, well, it's about this, but it's actually also about this. And it's also about this and this and this and this. And it's not often some people can just sort of like tell a story and it's about this thing that happened and that's it. And then for me, it's usually like, I love language. I love thinking about language and the way that we use it and the impacts that it has and the multiple layers of meaning that it can have. And I enjoy feeling like when that happens that I even have multiple storylines of I could just as easily come in and tell you this song is about something else that we haven't even discussed because it just once I start thinking about it, there's just sort of the labyrinth of our minds just kind of goes into that many, many little oniony layers of meaning. When did this recording process begin and where did you record the forthcoming album? We recorded with a wonderful person who has become really just someone I admire and have consider a friend now, Aaron McAllister out at McAllister Audio. He fixes amps and does lots of things that I don't even understand. He has his own business there on Cunningham in Urbana. He's been in a bunch of different local bands himself in the CU area. I guess I should mention the band recording on this album is myself and Brian Reedy on drums and most of the vibraphone on the album will be him as well, except for vibraphone solo that I do on Get By. Johnny Davidson on guitar and multiple other tricks that I don't even know because he'd go in when I wasn't there and just sort of lay different stuff. He's got really neat instruments and pedals and he layered a bunch of stuff on it that I'll actually have to circle with Aaron to find out what all is on there to give him proper credits for everything. Tim McGee, who's been on your podcast on bass, 
and probably somewhere between Tim and Johnny or seeing Aaron at Hogshoot Opry's helping with sound or somehow we wound up talking with him about recording and we were actually set to record initially the day in 2020 the day this illinois went on lockdown on a friday and we had scheduled to record on a saturday in the spring of 2020 and this is already like a few years after these songs are done you know (laughs) like i already had written them so we kind of canceled slash post you know maybe it's postponing but it feels like the whole world might be ending who knows this is hard to know what what's gonna happen so we kind of tabled that recording session for the time and then after some time passed and we ended up accepting another show sometime in the fall of 2021 for the first time in a couple years and by the time we had gone to the trouble to sort of have all the guys relearn you know to get a little brushed up on everything you know and then brushed up a little more cohesive together tim and johnny or and brian too everybody was just kind of like well while we've gone to the trouble to brush back up on all this do you want to just contact aaron about maybe getting in the studio so then he's got an auxiliary room to his business that he has like a whole like mission control recording area set up and i'm not sure what his long-term plans are with that, but I think he's interested in expanding that and doing a little bit more. We had a, he was so easy to work with and just really in tune and very on task with everything. And we had a good time over there and all among friends, you know, all those guys have known each other for a long time. So then it came down to, we went back and forth, back and forth, adding things kind of slow. You know, none of us is doing this as our first job. Everybody's doing it in their time outside of work and other things going on. It was a slow process getting all the tracks laid and then corrections and whatever else. But then once the mixes were done, I don't know a lot of people who do mastering. Don't I'm not really familiar with all that and had reached out to my brother-in-law who's a musician in Chicago and he has way more contacts and he kind of recommended a friend of his. But what ended up happening was my neighbor friend, Stephen Swords, passed away. He had been a professor in Charleston where I grew up and I ended up meeting him at a show or at Flying Machine when that was in downtown Urbana, we got having a conversation and I was talking about, oh, remember when my mom was your student and I, you don't know me, but I know who you are. And we came to realize that we just lived a couple of houses down from each other. I had no idea. Fellow plant and cat lover and music lover. And he played music as well in the process of his adult children coming back to Illinois when he passed away earlier this year. I went to his house to help with some box movie and some things and offer whatever and got to talk in with Shannon one of those days that I was over there and I'm not really a person who goes around like announcing that I'm making an album but he mentioned something about that he'd be back in town working on his own project and I said oh yeah we're wrapping something up oh if you ever need help with mixing or mastering I'm, I'd be happy to help and I was like are you being serious you, you, ma- mixing we're done with but mastering I am l- literally looking for someone like right now and it was just this unbelievable i really prefer to work with people i at least know on some level and it just was a special way to sort of tie it in and feel like it was a special turn of events to sort of feel a little bit lost i don't know who we're gonna use for this i don't know really who to turn to i'm not sure and it was nice to have sort of an extra layer of meaning to the process of connecting with these adult children who are around my age of this you know person we're all grieving and 
it just felt really special to have that sort of come full circle and to involve him into the project. And he was also very professional and easy to work with and very timely and responsive and getting back to us from that point. It really, I've been probably the biggest holdup at this point, but now we're down to, I'm trying to get Brian to, he has a long history of making band posters and um, doing a lot of the, all the lonely trailer artwork for posters and album covers and things. And I had kind of put the bug in his ear a couple of years ago about doing the artwork for the album. And he didn't really wasn't, you know, the confidence to, it, it just, you'd be surprised right. how insecure we all are. <laughs> it's just, even people who've been doing it forever and you just go, but you're, you know, you're so good. And that's why I'm asking you and I'd be really special, but we all have our insecurities and he wasn't really feeling confident to do it. And as Shannon was fi- finishing mastering, Brian sort of changed his mind and was like, well, maybe I will try some things. So now he's at home in the basement or wherever with a, you know, making some different samples, some things maybe based off of photos of our dear cat who passed away, Margot, and maybe some things from my grandfather, Clyde, who is not with us anymore, but he was a musician. And so we'll see how it all comes together, what, yeah. what ends up happening. But What is your favorite part of this song? Oh, gosh might be more of an abstract thing like the way it feels to sing it or one of the weird things about our live performances once we kind of came back after pandemic and after a lot of other just hard life and community situations and coming back I find that the energy and tone of how I started delivering some of the songs like this song started sounding maybe a little more tinges of like rage and agitation and like a little more like then even in the couple of shows that we've done since laying the basic tracks it just the tone of it got less whatever softness was there just kind of more urgency more frustration and more boldness and it is a bit of a cathartic song to sing just because it's a little bit like ragey or something in the way that like the forcefulness of the way the vocals feel to sing. You know, we always struggle with that bridge timing wise and each band member's interpretation of things and each of us sort of does things maybe a little different every time. And so it's sort of fun that things come out a little bit different every time. I like the way that the bridge feels when we're really like punching when we can do tempo changes and timing changes or whatever and like really punch those and and it feels good when we can really like nail that you know I don't know that we necessarily even accomplish that for the purposes of recording and that I'm okay I mean you have to just be okay with that I didn't necessarily choose this song for this podcast you know for it being my favorite song I've ever written it was something that I felt would be maybe fun to talk about with you and just I wanted to maybe share a song that's a little bit of energy you know and a little bit of showcasing everyone in the band doing something with a little energy and pizzazz and some some changes in there but I don't know that I necessarily have like a favorite lyric of the song to be redundant the way that it feels to sing it is kind of what I enjoy about it I guess maybe it's more fun to be mysterious and not parse out every line, but I generally parsed out every line of what I when I wrote it. And some songwriters like to be more guarded in not sharing what it means, or they want to only leave it up to the listener to decide what it means. And I don't know that I generally get that way. I, I don't mind sort of talking about as long as you don't mind that it might take me a half an hour to explain that it means 10 different things. <laughs> Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. 
Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Rebecca, do you have a favorite Champaign-Urbana venue? That is a great question. At the risk of this being a very downer answer to that question, there have been so many closures over the past few years that having a favorite feels like naming the one place. Brian and I were talking about this, so appreciating the places that are still open and are just like trailblazing and triumphing and making the most of it and making more than the most of it and keeping some kind of music scene going. I guess my favorite would be what's next. I mm. keep hearing about possible places opening, so appreciating Rose Bowl is so close to my house, right? And that Urbana Hootenanny has been like a state. I started going to that shortly, very shortly after they started, which was more than 10 years ago in their like second iteration of it, which is when they like consider the official Hootenanny anniversary or whatever. Then it was run by totally different people and it was more of a bluegrass jam and things changed. And that's, it's been wonderful to see all the iterations of things, but you know, like Iron Post was uh, mm. home away from home. I felt like I got to sample so many different types of jazz, so many different shows, you know, so much to be desired for like, you know, you know, it's a, it was dirty dive bar kind of thing, you know? So, I mean, there the were sometimes concerns about ordering something where they'd have to use their lines. I was a fool to order like gin and tonic at Iron Post because they're not probably cleaning their lines, but I miss that so much. And and Paul was a neighbor and a, you know, a curmudgeon, but a neighbor and a friend and a person who Paul Worth, who passed away over yeah. quarantine times. There's been a lot of joy lost over several things that have happened in our circle and globally and in our own like community. And even before the pandemic, I sharply scaled back the amount of going out or playing anywhere or anything. I'm a little already a little socially rusty just from that and really haven't played a lot of places. I want to sing the praises of something and I am not feeling like my favorite venue, I guess, is like my front porch in the summertime. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> where I let my cats come out with me and sing to them from my porch swing. I've had positive experiences at a handful of places. I don't know if you're asking me a favorite venue to play or a favorite venue just to hang out and listen to music. Obviously, in Ur for Urbana's purposes, Rose Bowl has done a really ambitious and amazing job picking up all of that. I feel like it's unhealthy for 
the music community to only have one sort of, I hate to use the word monopoly, but it's like, I hate the circumstances of the world have brought this to be I would love to see a healthier situation where there's more going on, more opportunities, more places. I appreciate that Wink has been starting to schedule things at Brass Rail again. Maybe I'm just a fucking <laughs> downer, but it's like uh, all I think of with that question is all these places that have closed and all the like mm. loss of joy of not feeling like we can go anywhere anymore. But I need to familiarize myself better with some of the more startup house venues that have been going on because I catch wind and then I feel like maybe too shy or something to try it or I just don't know what I'm getting myself into. And when you have like people in the community who are very like triggering of different things, it's hard to go places and feel like the uncertainty of who you might run into that might be like a psychological disaster uh, to fall out to like deal with for a few days so it's just sort of i know that's a lot more than you're asking for in that question but because i don't really deal with favorites and then it just makes me think about everything <laughs> um right. that's the answer you're getting and you're welcome to just cut out this whole question if that's just too not pleasant but I do appreciate the places that have done their best to stay afloat and have even like come to a point of thriving at this point. What I would love to see is a little more spread out, more options, more community, hopefully for those businesses not to feel like cutthroat competition with each other, but where everything's sort of in some level of symbiosis. Right. Well, it was interesting that you brought up, you know, the Rose Bowl is, as I, I like to say, is killing it and they're doing a great job. But 100%. You, yeah. You, I don't mean to question like that they're oh. they are doing and I they're like killing themselves to make it like yeah. amazing. Yeah. But but I think about at least in terms of any environment, any sustainable environment is based upon a permaculture or a polyculture mm -hmm. or something where there's much to sustain it and either just by it being this one thing even if it has variety it puts so much pressure on that one venue yes. to actually sustain it that there's a good chance for burnout. There's a good chance for people to just be like, well, I went to Rose Bowl the other night, so I don't really want to, you know, why would I even go out? Well, you know, at the same you know? time, a lot of people are finding that to be a home away from home in a different headspace with the past few years. If certain things hadn't happened the way they had in our own personal lives, I would probably feel like, this is the most amazing thing because you just basically know that you can go and find like any number of your friends hanging out in the same place every, almost pretty much every day and night. And right. um, that's really, there's something like fun about that, but kind of to what we're both saying is something I was thinking about is just, I don't even think it's like good for Rose Bowl. I don't think it's even good for them to be the sort of the only, you know, some of that yeah. burden needs to be even though it might be like, no, keep it. I mean, I know you need the business to keep going. Like you said, it's a lot of burden. And I don't know. It raises other questions of what would even like a healthy live music community look like going forward. There's so much potential, so many open places, so many, if anybody had the business acumen or the money or the interest or whatever, like there are so many opportunities and neat, neat, neat spaces to develop into something I do not have the executive function personally right. to do something like that. I miss feeling like, you know, at some point when I was working a job where I actually had a regular income to do this, I could go to downtown Urbana on a weekend and just like basically watch 
like this band here catch this thing over here maybe circle back to that other place and then get like my 2 a.m snack from crane on my way home or whatever you know it's like do a whole sort of circuit and i'm not saying that was like the quintessential if anything i would say i don't even long for some kind of good old days because i think there was plenty not to repeat about things that have been but there's a lot of potential so i guess my feeling about that question is i'm really looking forward to seeing us heal from the places where we've been these past few years i think there's a lot of potential for what's next and i'm looking forward to seeing that i don't mean for this at all to come off in a tone where of course rose bowl being part of it will be an essential part of that but i don't want to have a favorite i don't want to have a just one thing i want right. to go like we've got mm. all these like banging sweet places that support arts and local musicians i don't know that we've lost a little bit of something yeah it'd be cool if instead of saying this one venue it's like i like going to downtown urbana Mm -hmm. because then it's just like because this venue is amazing this venue is amazing Mm -hmm. this venue is amazing i like eating here i like going here and like literally you could make a whole evening about going to all of those businesses rather than just one business Mm -hmm. and i feel like if you have two venues instead of just one venue two venues or three venues, you have people that are like, you know what, instead of staying at home, I'm going to go to this one venue, but in the process of going to this one venue, because they like what they see, they might just happen to hop over to the other venue. And now all of a sudden, you've got two places that are, Mm -hmm. I guess my point is really, if you have more things to do, then it's more likely that someone that would have just stayed home will come out and spend their money and support the bands Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. I guess that that loops into my last question of this section is like, what do you think makes a good music community or even just a community in general? The answer to that, I'm reworking that in my mind as I'm trying to find my way back to some sense of community that I felt like I was developing and then have been very separated and felt very alone and very jaded and unsure of where to go. I don't have a history of a ton of um, reaching out and self-promotion and planning and organizing and like putting it out there and branding and all the marketing. It's just too, talk about like ADHD, just like way overwhelming, just too, I can't, it's makes my brain collapse just trying to think about logistics of things like that. And, you know, probably some of my upbringing is taught me that it's wrong to promote one's own talent like talent even the word talents feels like you're not supposed to say that you know what i mean so it's like that doesn't mean to be a false modesty thing it's just like a literal thing that you're taught is like wrong to really sort of talk about that way or whatever it just i think community like any relationships comes from a sense of and i truly 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 believe very strongly that people mostly want belonging above most things they could have in life and a lot of the things that people do is trying to feel some belonging even if it's indirect i think that that comes with a sense of trust you know it's like what does that even mean what does shared values mean what does that mean i mean Mm -hmm. it'd be like values of not bullying not assaulting not you know, well, what do we mean? What do we do if those things don't happen? Or what do we do? How do you handle that? It's a weird thing. Of course, and you know this because you you have been to several of the snake pit, which uh, bless Matt Talbot for hosting us over there. He's got such a neat 
just attitude about more caring about like humans and just making a space for people over anything else sharing his own music and having a place where people can share music when i first started going to the sort of what was initially branded as like hog shoot snake pit i loved the vulnerability of it being a place where people could share stuff that wasn't done wasn't perfect wasn't necessarily like performance based and like entertain i i don't really because i don't approach even if I'm playing a show, I don't consider myself an entertainer. I don't even really know why I'm doing it half the time. It's like, I don't know why I'm here. You know, I mm-hmm. I love the way music makes me feel. I love the way it feels to play music with other people. I love the way it feels if anybody connects to it. But I'm not, an in- I'm not here for your entertainment. And right. I wouldn't even know how to do that. I don't like the pressure for it to be a certain thing. I love the concept of going into a platform. It's kind of open micy, but come as you are. Share stuff whether it's finished or not. You're welcome to get up and try to play with someone else if you want or you can invite people to play with you if you want. That I think is a good start for sort of the collaborative nature and just the supportive. There's no presupposition of perfection and we're all trying to tamp our egos and just like be humans who share the common bond of loving this as a point of connection and very supportive. I love that. And that certainly translates to community in general, where we're all have to be, have some level of competitiveness, I suppose, to be alive. I I don't know, but maybe not, but competitiveness makes me very uncomfortable. So like, I like a situation where you don't feel pitted against each other again that ties into the whole venue thing because not out of that there's only one choice but because there's a sharing of space that everyone understands it's necessary different people and different places have something to bring to the table that are important on in their own way and everybody doesn't have to be the best at everything or at the same thing celebrating our diversity we could go a long way with that it's uncomfortable to try to break into the boys club so even if you're like cis white man coming into a situation of other people of that demographic going to an open mic night you're still like kind of part of the generally accepted voice and it's interesting like how even in like the dating relationships I've had with other musicians in the past, it's like the sense of sort of like my place isn't the deference. My place takes a backseat to your thing. I think community allows for more than that kind of really limiting narrow thinking and allows to look at like, are we only letting certain types of people shine? Are we only letting community isn't a thing unto itself. So it takes kind of a widespread attitude, right? right. For that, because community isn't a person. <laughs> so right. it takes like that being a shared value that is fostered among lots of people. So the other thing that I want to say is that I so appreciate your spirit, Sven. And I know that I've said this to you on a personal level before, but I like to be on the record on your podcast saying how much I appreciate, I mean, what you do, the work that you do for Immerman Angels, not just for Immerman Angels, but also the way that you bring people together with Svenstock and the way that I observe your approach to the kinds of people that you try to involve in that and the kinds of voices that you try to elevate and the way that you're 
always expressing an interest in even the the new people trying stuff just trying stuff out like i feel like you have a real heart for you you just love like to support musicians and music in any way that it can happen and to give a voice to newer people or to just people who aren't getting a voice i really appreciate that about you i appreciate the work that you put into even like the way that like you said this podcast is obviously a labor of love that's something you have to put a lot of energy into and it just feels like you're doing this you got stuff i don't even know about i'm sure and i just always feel like when i have had conversations with you i know you kind of seem sheepish about the way that you you know reflect on overthinking or whatever and anxieties and the adhd of it all but like there are ways that those things bring a uniqueness to who you are the special thing that you bring even this podcast like i have told people my appreciation for what you're doing with the champagne is also a band podcast because even just think about someone like angie heaton i mean you have recorded like special conversation with someone all of the people you've met everything is temporary everyone is temporary like we are all going to be gone this conversation we're having i'm not going to be here anymore you're not going to be here anymore like at some point it's special in the moment because you're like capturing it now and you're promoting things that are happening now but the importance of the legacy that you're making through doing this and like capturing the local scene will continue to be immeasurable until like assuming that the world is still up and going and we all have access to this sort of platform it could be 50 years from now and people are like talking about the legacy of champagne urbana music scene you might have captured some of the only mm. and, and your footage and you're capturing it's so time capsule and you're having these like conversations with people where you're getting to actually know people a little bit it really matters and i really just want to say thank you for what you're doing yeah <laughs> now i'm speechless uh but i'm i'm glad that that is conveyed I mean, I, I, I think that's probably the simplest thing that I can say as a response is I'm glad that those things are coming through with me doing this because honestly, it's, it's not for the paycheck and it's, and it's just to, to show my appreciation for those that exist that create and make things in the Champaign-Urbana music scene. So thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. I that. mean it. Yeah. So anyway, I know... Uh, since it doesn't tie into our next segment, I wanted to get it out now. So thank you. Thank you, Sven. Thanks. <laughs> Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004, carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 
398-6246. Welcome back. Rebecca, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? Thank you for adding things because I don't, uh, like I said, I don't, I struggle when people ask me my favorite anything. I'm like, well, my favorite thing is not being asked what what is my favorite. <laughs> I'm a houseplant lady. I have probably upwards of a hundred and some houseplants and that's become more possible through amazing local businesses like Mathis at Plant Mode and we have country arbors and prairie gardens and now there's like Plantify that's now so oh, they're yeah. like they they got changed to planted because the company changed but but it's becoming a little more popular so it's become a trendy thing which has been to my benefit because it's brought access to like really neat things and there are a little bit more exotic plants that you maybe wouldn't didn't used to be able to necessarily find and there's so much like the cu plant people group around town i mean again speaking of just the importance of community and a generous spirit and stuff like a platform where people can swap plants share cuttings like try to keep it really low cost for pe- really just for the love of the, the thing right? right and so and people with different niche interests like hoyas and stuff so i find that the longer i've been doing this and have like a little bit better honed keeping things alive that I tend toward epiphytic things, which that is going to be not parasitic, but epiphytic. So they don't like grow parasitically on other plants, but they do grow on other things <laughs> as their habitat is to have their little aerial roots and grow huh. above other things. So that's going to be like your Hoya, your philodendron, bromeliads, and the goes on and on and on but like if i goo push my you know proverbial my pretend science glasses up that's my like dorky thing that i'm kind of i love what it teaches me about you just feel so appreciative of plants are amazing and gardens are amazing and the our green life is you just learn so much about the way that their will to survive and the adaptive mechanisms that they have and the things that they need or don't need or do to adapt to their circumstances and the ways that they're so like beautiful and strange and naughty and i don't know it's just sort of like marvel at them but other than that you know i'm way into my cats and and i love 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 to just like sit by the fire like really love it so and other than that i'm like obscenely a tv junkie (laughs) so (laughs) so um do you have a particular favorite plant that you have in your house or one that you favor above all the other plants that they're jealous of it sort of changes from time to time i've been really into the hoyas and now i've started sort of doing the very laborious work of taking most of them outside for the summer to give them that extra boost but then that's a whole thing to bring them back inside because of pests and oh right checking and repotting and they've grown so much and there's just a lot to like it turns into a, a lot of work kinda. Yeah. um again all the epiphytes are really cool i really like the few hoyas that i have but mostly it's kind of like anything that I previously felt like was not possible for me to care for, like whatever, and I've sort of figured out over the years how mm. to keep it alive and then feel like it looks actually happy and maybe now it's, mm. you know, put out all this new growth and 
although flowering is often a sign of stress in plants, like you get it to flower beautifully, getting more in tune with some of that is nice. But again, I go through phases where I like get really hyper-focused on them and then I feel like too overwhelmed and sometimes I think I'll just get rid of them all because I just don't know if Mm. I have like the energy to care or like why am I doing this or life is so expensive now what am I doing like I don't have any business having Mm. this many house plants that need you know distilled water or whatever when like I need to be able to pay for the heating bill that's gonna be like triple this winter or whatever so talk about overthinking you know you were talking about overthinking but I think we were off air when you were talking about that but yeah overthinking think-a-thon. I think one of the things that uh, at least living out in the country that I've noticed at least in myself is that I said that I like to be alone a lot but in some ways being around life being around nature oh, you're being communing around with like, nature it, it, yeah you're not alone you're with yeah. other living things my landlord very sweet man passed away and then the family also just very sweet I mean do life by the handshake such a dear family they decided to just sort of like sell to me on contract. Once I knew that Easter Banner home, like once I knew that I was going to be really responsible for it, I took more of an interest in what's going on with the yard. Mm. Really, really am interested in native plants, Illinois natives, prairie stuff. And interesting that this is coming up now because uh, I don't know if you know Dave Monk, uh, the name oh, Dave Monk, but he yeah. passed away on Friday. I so admire the work that he's done with his pocket prairies and especially as an Australian person coming to the Midwest in the yeah. like 60s or something and just taking an interest in preserve prairie is kind of the whatever catchphrase, preserve prairie. All the work that he has done that I can't even really conceive of, not just Champaign-Urbana, but local surrounding counties and a lot of things that you see where that work has been done has been from his influence Mm. on our local ecology. And it's very much more important than I think any of us realizes. I hope that there's enough interest and awareness to sort of have, and not that he wasn't part of a somewhat of a consortium. I don't mean to diminish. It's taken a village, if you will, to like do that work. And so I know that there are people left behind who already are doing that work, but to start off in our yard to look at like removing a lot of well-intended, you know, beautifying your space ornamentals from other countries brought in that have now outcompeted very necessary natural landscape. And we're really in a bit of a crisis for prairie land not really being a thing anymore. And so I'm sort of also have an interest in, it makes my head hurt a little bit because I get like a little obsessed and I don't know all of what I'm looking at because I don't quite have the education and the background of this, but I'm trying to learn little by little about what's native in the yard, what's invasive. I spent a lot of time over pandemic eradicating honeysuckle bush. The Asian honeysuckle bush from our yard was insane way back before I ever would have lived there. There used to be a train track. So you get some of that to the, what you'd consider railroad areas, sort of a disturbed land that really can be ripe for those seed banks. It's crazy to learn about how like they can stay dormant for decades. So every year I have, as I'm removing some stuff, then other stuff comes up and even as trying to replace it with natives and things. So we're we're on a bit of a mission and I know that's a little, it's not necessarily interesting to the masses, but that's definitely been a somewhat passion project that I have to come and go from because it does sort of like make me a little bit sick once I get to it feels right. so overwhelming to tackle maybe you 
plant ironweed and echinacea and milkweed instead of butterfly bush. You might like the aesthetic of that, but what is it really doing long term to the local like yeah, right. ecosystem? And it's okay if things eat your garden because that's not all for you. You know, right. you're planting things and it's okay if critters eat some stuff. We got a ton of clover going. I try, I think, you know, I mow just enough to get by that hopefully nobody gets mad you know and so i like letting the clover and stuff come up and it's wonderful you see the animals love the clover you know it doesn't grow too tall the wildlife love it and then if you have your vegetable garden well like for example bunnies they'd rather have clover than your tomatoes they'll migrate to if you let that stuff go let your yard get a little you know bushy you know <laughs> give your yard a 70s bush and it'll be you know the wild all everybody benefits you know it's like you don't have to keep that stuff mown down that's yeah. my psa i guess <laughs> yeah. rebecca thank you for being on the show it's been, and it's we took us so long to get here we just talked too long <laughs> we, no, we made is... it last too long <laughs> yeah and i mean not yeah but i i have immensely enjoyed this conversation we talked about your song swamp thing and we talked about your favorite venue and what makes a good community and your favorite non-musical things. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's I been appreciate a pleasure. you. Thank you for having me. It's been great chatting with you. And I wish I had an album title for you, but you can be on the lookout with my name. It'll just be under my name, Rebecca Songer. So I will title to be determined, hopefully in the next month or so. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I bet you I'll post about it. I'm sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Love you, bud. Thank you for listening to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is Rebecca Songer reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> studio. Give your yard a 70s bush.